We have over 200,000 kids who are going hungry every day, and that's a 60% increase just in these last few months of the pandemic. Hunger and food insecurity are increasing. One in five people reported going hungry at least once between March 2020 and March of this year. Around the world, more than 800 million people don't have enough food to eat. Canada, of course, is not immune to the perils of food insecurity and poverty, issues that have only intensified over the past year. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Right? And what is that next meal going to be? Here is a stat none of us should be proud of. I know I'm absolutely not. Almost one in three people in the world did not have access to adequate food last year. I'm just going to repeat that in case you didn't hear it. One in three people did not have access to adequate food last year. I know, I know, Ryan. It's been a real challenge for so many people around the world with the pandemic, broken supply chains, conflict, climate change. All of that has worsened what was already a very severe food shortage. And honestly, it's children who suffer the most. Hello, I'm Ryan Clark in Montreal. And I'm Zara Batiste in Toronto, and this is First Comes Food, a podcast by Canadian Feed the Children. And this is a podcast that looks at the surprising ways that people around the world are feeding their families and communities in this time of a global food crisis. Zara, I know you've worked at Canadian Feed the Children for a long time. Tell us a bit about what you do. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to. <laughs> so Canadian <laughs> Feed the Children, or CFTC for short, we're a charity and we partner with communities to help children thrive. And that sounds very big. But what that means for us is we're supporting community efforts towards achieving food security and food sovereignty. And we're actually partnered with about 180, I believe, communities around the wow. world. And that's in Bolivia, Ethiopia, Ghana, Uganda, as well as 31 Indigenous communities in Canada, which is where our podcast begins today. I want to go back to the food security and food sovereignty part. Could you explain what those terms mean? Absolutely. So I kind of want to dial it back to hunger, which, you know, we say hunger, food security, food sovereignty. These are actually really specific concepts. So for hunger, that's that physical feeling of being hungry from a lack of food. And the definition of hunger is less than 1,800 calories of food a day. And now, according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, this global crisis has actually pushed 828 million people into hunger. Wow. But then what's food security? Food security is actually different. It means, and this is coming from Stats Canada, it means the condition where all people at all times have physical economic access to safe and nutritious food for an active and healthy life. So when we're talking about food security, we're looking at all of the factors that lead to people being able to afford or access enough healthy food to meet their needs. And then what about food sovereignty? So to answer this, I actually, um, I want to reference a quote that I wrote down by Rodney Contois. He's from mm. one of our partner communities, Garden Hill First Nation. So here's the quote. He said, when I think of food sovereignty, I think of nations 
of people having the ability to feed entire families in the entire region so that they can feed themselves the next year or the year after that or even generations from now. And I just think it's such a perfect quote, especially for what we're going to talk about today. So I love that you mentioned that because it ties in a lot with what this episode is going to be about. We'll be going to one of those communities and learning the incredible work that people are doing there. So Ryan, I don't know about you, but it's been quite depressing pushing a shopping cart through a grocery store these days. Food prices have risen so much in the last couple of years alone. An average family of four in Canada spends well over $250 on a week of food. And you know what? That's a terrible strain on many households. It really is. And often the most expensive food is the healthiest, especially in rural and remote areas where just finding fresh fruits, vegetables and meats, it's really challenging. It absolutely is a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge for a lot of us, but especially in Indigenous communities. So that's why at CFTC, we partner with Indigenous communities to help families grow their own food. And, you know, each community is very different. They're all different nations, different um, geographies. So each community has a different approach and we just follow their lead. And, you know, today what I wanted to talk about, what I think is really fascinating is one of the most unique ways that communities are responding is through food forests. Hmm. And this is happening in Muskeg Lake Cree Nation, Atakaku Cree Nation, Atikameg, and Berdies and Okamasis' Cree Nation. All of these are within the area of like Saskatchewan and Alberta. And it's really unique. You'll, you'll, you'll have to listen to hear more. So let's head to one of those communities. Here it is, and hear firsthand about some of the work being done. Jennifer Cameron walks through prairie grass to a community dugout and dips in her watering can. It's a journey she'll repeat many times on this day. We don't have an actual watering system yet. We do have the dugout, but we don't have a water line in yet to move water from one place to another yet. And so... Jennifer will make this trip to the dugout all afternoon, tending a garden she hopes will help feed her people. I would always get shipped to the garden to go and work. So it just grew on me being in the garden. It's, it's my element. Jennifer helps spearhead the creation of this garden on the Beardy's Okamasis Reserve. The reserve is on rich farmland in the center of the province about 80 kilometers north of Saskatoon. It's one of the largest Cree reserves in Saskatchewan at just over 3,000 residents. And this is their food forest, a project started with the help of Canadian Feed the Children. When Jennifer gazes out at her hard work, she sees newly blossoming food, lots of it. We have, oh gosh, apples, we have pears, plums, strawberries, hascaps, black raspberries, raspberries, uh, blackberries, currants, gooseberries, cherry trees, uh, three different varieties of cherry trees. And it's been a lot of fun planting it. The sun has been wonderful. Jennifer has helped create one of four indigenous food forests, a project to give indigenous communities the tools and knowledge to grow their own food and reconnect with the land. 
There are traditional foods here, such as Saskatoon berries, alongside fruits and vegetables and acres of potatoes. We have approximately 500 plants planted in within the area. We have several varieties of different fruits that are currently growing naturally. The food forest will be a place for healing the mind, body, and soul for the community to reconnect to the earth. Eventually, this food forest will incorporate picnic sites, a medicine garden, outdoor classroom, and shaded rest area for elders. In short, a place for all. We have a lot of diabetes. The youngest person in the community is six years old, suffering with type 2 diabetes. So next year, we will be upgrading the garden so that we have a larger variety of fruit and vegetables to be able to reach more community members. The time I saw a fox, I was walking to get some mulch and it just ran past. On this afternoon, nine-year-old Summer Potatoes helps with the watering. Canada's Indigenous nations have a lot of young people. The average age is 30 when it's over 40 for the rest of the country. This garden has become a valuable teaching tool for youth about the benefits of healthy organic food which they help harvest. It was very exciting and I ate a carrot from the garden. Tasted awesome and they tasted more like fruit than a vegetable. Just having a location in the community just to offset food prices, learning about plants, making medicines, making meals, having community events where we're not issuing a check to send someone to go grocery shopping. That's pretty much what I would like from the food forest. Hello, hello. How are you? How was the camp yesterday? Oh, it was good. We ended up cooking and doing a bunch of stuff. And is this summer? Hi, Summer. Did I meet you last time I was here? On this afternoon, Sydney Kleimenhege arrives from Regina. She's a program manager with Canadian Feed the Children who helped organize this food forest and three others. So the food forest is really a way for First Nations communities, Indigenous communities to regain Indigenous food sovereignty. So a food forest, it, it can look different in every community that it's in. So the food forest uses the natural landscape and basically just increases access to food in a community. Sydney is a Cree woman as well, from a reserve about three hours east of Beardy's Okamasis. She says her people had a long history of growing and harvesting food, which was interrupted by the reserve system imposed on First Nations. Many Indigenous people were moved a long way from traditional territory, breaking a connection with the land. Having entire generations forced into residential schools just made the situation worse. My grandma was ashamed to be First Nations when she came out of residential school. And so that's why we never grew up with this. When I got the opportunity to work on reserve and work with a First Nations community, I began to learn all of these cultures and traditions that I had lost out on. It brings such a nice feeling to your, to your heart, to your soul, seeing these kids that grandparents maybe didn't get to do this, their parents maybe get, didn't get to do this, and there's this big push to reconnect and, and get our youth back involved. And so Sydney is not shy about getting her hands dirty, digging in the dirt, creating something she takes pride in. It's not going to feed every household on community with 
without supplementation from elsewhere. People are still going to be driving into the cities or going to the grocery store. But the real important piece, I believe, is the fact that people can get out and reconnect and experience what was taken from them. Sydney says in the near future, the four participating food forests could trade their harvests with one another. If they have a surplus of potatoes or berries at Beardy's Okamasis, they would trade with Muskeg Lake a few hours away, sharing the harvest and re-establishing old community connections. I expect, as far as distribution, everyone in the community at some point will get food every summer from from the food forest, whether that's them coming out and, and taking the time to walk through the food forest and harvest for themselves, or it being distributed to their homes. Pre-contact, Cree, and many other First Nations groups across Saskatchewan and Canada were farming, they were harvesting, they were gathering. So coming back to this traditional way, just re- reconnecting, right? Reconnecting with, with culture, with tradition. That means more trips to the dugout for Sydney and Jennifer. But they don't mind. For them, the food forest is a labour of love. We have the potential, we have a lot of people that love to garden and just being able to create a food supply. We never knew that that was a part of us before. Oh my gosh, it's so good to hear those voices on the land from Jennifer and Sydney. You know, we're we're just really honored as an organization to just partner with these four communities on this food forest initiative. It's just one example of all the different ways that communities are responding to challenges around food. Yeah, and reconnecting with tradition and culture, as Jennifer and Sydney said. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I want to mention that Food distribution is still a big part of what we do because things like getting children nutritious lunches at school, big priority for families around the world. You know, partnering to help regain that lost heritage, that is so important, especially for children and actually, honestly, for elders as well who have been disconnected from these practices due to things like residential schools. The Food Forest Initiative plans to feed about 11,000 people in Alberta and Saskatchewan, and that's just the beginning. For more on what Canadian Feed the Children is doing with its Indigenous partners, we reached out to Glenn Checkley, the Director of Indigenous Partnerships and Programs. Thanks for joining us, Glenn. What is Canadian Feed the Children's goal in partnering with Indigenous communities? Uh, Within the Canada side of things, Canadian Feed the Children works with Indigenous communities, nations, and partners to help address needs of immediate food insecurity, but also build programs and practices towards the larger goal of Indigenous food sovereignty. So the organization really takes a holistic approach, looks seven generations ahead, and really supports that self-determination aspect that's so important across Turtle Island. What is the greatest need among these 31 communities? It's tough to say. Community to community, there's going to be some differences. So highlighting again that food sovereignty, Indigenous food sovereignty, really looks different community to community, right? There's no one-size-fits-all approach to this, no singular goal. And if we talk about food forest later, it's actually a great example of how diverse a singular approach can be when it's implemented across multiple communities. The organization takes a very personalized, community-led approach to the development work that we do, working in some cases 
With the schools, there's the immediate food insecurity need, um, making sure that children are fed, that they're focusing in the classroom, and that they're supported so that families have time to not have to worry and stress about that. Mm -hmm. But also create education so that kids make healthier choices as they kind of grow up and what have you. We support the families, foster efforts to build community resilience, and really, again, reclaim that self-determined food system that the community has identified. So... Again, like where this differs is really indigenous food sovereignty relies on interconnections of culture, heritage, spirituality, and just general politics. Mm -hmm. So a community in New Brunswick is going to be vastly different from a community in the Northwest Territories, uh, even though some of the challenges they might be undergoing at this time are somewhat the same. Why these communities in particular? So what's interesting is CFTC doesn't use a granting-based system. And this is huge, right? You're not forcing communities to compete against each other for small pockets of funding. This long-term partnership approach that we apply through that general expression for need at the beginning ensures that we can support these communities to help them achieve their, again, just general food security goals, but also towards Indigenous food sovereignty. Because that takes a while. It's not something that can happen in a year or two, and it's not something that should be bogged down administratively by having to reapply, reapply year after year just to get a little bit more funding or fight the community next door. So the CFTC approach, again, has been this long-term partnership model, express need, and sort of a geographical pocket sort of mentality that when communities are geographically located close together or have like cultural interconnections, the idea being that when they're sort of in the same area, same cultures, and the shared history, that they can support each other locally when need be, right? So if there's a community like 90 kilometers down the road that's also receiving funding, they can share resources, both, again, like if they're community garden programmings, you can look at one community will grow XYZ, the other will grow ABC. And during harvesting season, they can swap and switch depending on the community need and really get the most out of those community gardens. But also, again, that technical support. If you have somebody somebody with knowledge of permaculture or somebody who just has a tractor that's able to help you till the land a little bit better, uh, to have them drive over, help you out for the day is huge, right? That extra volunteer, that extra set of hands goes a long way. What are some of the successes you've had? So uh, one success that I can talk about largely just because I was recently there. Um, so I was visiting the Red Rock Indian Band roughly a month and a half ago now. It's an Ojibwe First Nation in northwestern Ontario, roughly maybe 1,800 members, both living on and off reserve. And really, Red Rock First Nation wanted to become this autonomous, independent First Nation community. And at the Gathering Place project, Ma Ma Wetewining, project represented the first step in that goal. So it's a sustainable infrastructure project connecting social well-being to culture and the rediscovery of traditional food systems. So CFTC has really supported that goal, listening to Red Rock and the community members that they had lacked the space and tools to practice their harvesting rights. So we really wanted to support them to achieve access to cultural teaching space for harvesting of wild foods and animals while providing a facility for community programs and members to process and store said wild foods and animals that have been harvested. The space, if you've watched it grow over the years, began as this concrete slab and moose hang and has now grown into a fully functional butcher shop with large deep freezes, um, running water, sinks, and will eventually, hopefully, 
grow into a tannery space as well to be able to provide some economic development opportunity and really allow for the intergenerational knowledge sharing around cultural and historical practices surrounding the harvesting of wild foods. The space itself, the gathering place, opened up last fall after a little bit of delays due to COVID and whatnot. But this summer they had another event which promoted the sharing of just land-based practices, teachings, um, and that intergenerational knowledge sharing that I talked about in the same space. So there was wild rice processing and harvesting. There was a tannery demonstration, loose meat smoking. We fried a lot of fish and lots of discussions around again because other communities came into Red Rock as well. So it wasn't just the Red Rock Indian Band, but Mm -hmm. the surrounding nations that came in as well. And there was really a good facilitation of discussion around indigenous food security needs, but how other nations in the area could actualize and um, sort of follow the, a similar path to the Red Rock Indian Band. Again, just kind of taking that expertise that had come around. The community connection and the, the youth to elder sort of knowledge sharing and this sense of community that's being built around these programs has been huge. And I say that's one of the biggest successes that we see within our programming. What is the Food Forest Program's ultimate goal? A food forest is a sort of like multifunctional agricultural system that's meant to provide a nutrient-dense edible, as well as medicines and other cultural resources provided by nature. So the idea being that they're sustainable and regenerative once they're established versus something that needs to be constantly replaced and is very labor-intensive. The first few years, obviously because of that, require some significant input and time, but the design and the approach of food forests and the idea of permaculture that lies kind of behind that is that they sustain themselves indefinitely. So on a conceptual level, as we try to build like that educational experience for indigenous youth and kind of shaping young minds, giving them the tools they need to succeed later in life, it's just about having people think carefully about our environment and use of resources and how we supply our needs by creating the system that sustains for the present, but also for future generations. So Like I said, permaculture, by no means a new concept. It's knowledge learned from indigenous societies around the world and kind of now reapplied to current times. So CFTC and for our partner communities, food forests kind of represent the revitalization of the Cree connection to the land. And how can individual Canadians help? On an individual level, like it's always great to learn about what's going on in your area You can support financially. I mean, I can plug the communications channels that we use at CFTC. Uh, So like and subscribe if you see our icons anywhere. But generally, like, it's just good to know that, like, communities are ready. Support Indigenous food self-determination and the ability of Indigenous peoples to define their own food systems. Understand that this isn't a singular issue and that... It takes a holistic approach that acknowledges that food is really more than a project for Indigenous peoples. It's really a medicine that ensures well-being, a way of sustaining culture and community, and is a way of reconnecting to the land. And then as individuals, we can help to really decolonize systems, promote a traditional two-eyed scene, to ensure that Indigenous knowledges and practices can be considered alongside other forms of knowledge and evidence. So yeah, as an individual, just be an advocate, be an ally, and 
assist where you can and just be open to listening and learning. Thank you so much, Glenn. That was really insightful. Uh, no problem. Thanks, Ryan. It was good talking to you. So that was that was such an amazing interview. Glenn is always a fascinating person to talk to, even just, you know, as a colleague. He always has such a deep understanding of all of the issues that are going into not just indigenous partnership, but the the ecosystem around the barriers that communities are facing, but also all the ways that they are taking charge for themselves. Like with the intergenerational learning piece with the Red Rock Indian Band, I really appreciated hearing about that. For me, I loved when he talked about specific instances of success and he brought up the gathering place, which I actually have experience in. I've spent a lot of time in Vancouver and I've met a bunch of people just on the streets and they talk about the gathering place so often as a place where they can go and they can wash their clothes, get a fresh meal, get help with pretty much anything they need. And to hear that's just a small part of so much that they're doing is just amazing to me. Oh, that's really awesome. And I didn't know that it was like a thing all over. That's great. And another thing that I think really captures the spirit of what CFTC tries to do is really recognizing the diversity of these communities that we're working with. And it just shows you how community-led impact looks so different from like a one-size-fits-all solution. There's so many lovely things to talk about here, but the greatest thing is that this is our first podcast, so there's a lot more to come. It's been very enlightening, and if you want to hear more about Canadian Feed the Children, it's pretty easy. Go to our website, canadianfeedthechildren.ca. Yep, yep, yep. That's canadianfeedthechildren.ca. There is all kinds of information on the Food Forest Initiative, all the work we do in Canada and abroad, and there'll be more content about what we talked about today as well. Before we go, though, I do want to shout out some really important people. So firstly, shout out to TD Bank. Their support helped us expand the Food Forest Initiative from one to four communities, which is just such a huge impact. And we thank them so much. We also want to thank all of our incredible CFTC supporters, because honestly, without them, this work is just not possible. Um, yeah, and thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Sydney, Jennifer, Summer, all of you for sharing your stories with us today. Big thanks to the people of Berdies, Atikameg, Muskeg Lake, and Atakakoop for allowing us to be part of your journey to food sovereignty. It's really, truly an honor to partner with you. It's important work that we're doing together, and this is just the beginning, as Ryan said. Thank you to everyone who tuned into this podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.